starting with Rosh Chodesh Adar. <laughs> That's also going on in the world. That's a real thing. Marba Basimcha, you know, if there, if there was any time for the upheaval that's happening in the world, you know, to happen in a way that's favorable, obviously, you know, this is the month. I mean, this is the month of, of the downfall of evil. This is the month of the uplifting of those that are downtrodden, those that are being um, attacked on any level. And we'll discuss those levels in a minute because it does get a little bit complicated when you're dealing with two. Uh, nations that, are, that aren't particularly friendly to Jews, either of them, and what our attitude should be. But the first thing is, like, I think as Jews, we, we, we need to, I say we, I, I need to work on um, the sensitivity that I have to shifts in time, like to let that be real for me. Today is not like yesterday. Rosh Chodesh Adar is not like Rosh Chodesh, you know, Nisan. That's its own thing. Um, and it's not just Rosh Chodesh. Like, oh, you know, yeah, it's Rosh Chodesh. And some people wearing white shirts and some people, whatever it is, whatever we do special for Rosh Chodesh. It means that there's, there's a different energy in the world. The world is not the same today. And our tefillahs have to change. And the level of confidence that we have in our tefillahs needs to change. Comes Rosh Chodesh Adar, we have much more of a, of a, of a power, so to speak. A power in our old lives, a power to channel in our tefillahs for the world, whatever those tefillahs may be. So that's the first thing. I bless us, mamish mishenichas adar. We should find a way, like battle for a way, somehow find a way. In difficult times, in challenging times, to the thinking person, it's not so easy to be happy these days. It's, uh, you know, it's intense. These are tense days we're living through, through history. Um, find a way to be joyous consciously put on a song, dance around a little bit, do things that are going to encourage you in your in your in your happiness and your clarity and your confidence. So it's, it's an avoida. Certainly these days. But obviously speaking about what's going on in Ukraine, um, like I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, you know, I've been to Ukraine a bunch of times. I don't know have I've been to Ukraine ever? Bruma. Yeah, never. So for Uman, for, for other Kibbutz Tzadikim. Um, and there was a perception always you know, on the part of like the individual, this is not a first world country. Um, I remember this past Uman, it's insane. We drove up, uh, this past, meaning this past Rosh Hashanah. We drove up into Uman. It was super late because like they, they made you download this app on your phone for COVID and, and you had to register and the whole thing and the app just was not downloading on my phone no matter what. And I was trying to download this app. Everybody else, it seems, was, it was working for and the whole flight, like that was Arab Rosh Hashanah, I flew in Mamich the night before Rosh Hashanah. Everybody was getting in and uh, it was getting closer and closer to midnight. I was like the only person left in the airport, legit. Like, and the airport's over there. It's not an international airport. It's, uh, they, they fly all the, all the Eden into like this third world, like Mamish, this tiny place. You wouldn't know it was an airport if you didn't see like a runway outside, you know? Mamish, like this little place and everyone, the, all the lights were shutting down. <laughs> everyone was going home. There was no more flights coming in. It, was, it wasn't Pashit, and I went around, this guy, that guy, whatever, dragging us all around the airport, different places, trying to get a SIM card, and this and that. The app was broken, like it wasn't, it wasn't programmed well, it just wasn't working with my phone. Um, and you had to basically get to a screen using the app 
that basically you uploaded your documents, you had a negative COVID test, and then you get to border, uh, border control, whatever, the passport control, they look at your passport, they see the screen on your phone, and they'll let you go, right? But I couldn't get to that screen because the it's app wasn't working. <laughs> so it's this, they took us to like a couple of Ukrainian soldiers, um, and he, he like, this couldn't have been older than 17, 18, like mamish kids, um, adults, to those who are 18 years, but kids, right? Like not, not like, you know, run with machine guns and everything. Um, and basically they got somebody else's phone who the app was working and he took a picture using my camera and uh, he clicked on the screen and he like walked us through. Um, but basically I got into Uman super late because like a two hour drive from the airport. Um, must have been like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. Pitch, pitch black. No, no light pollution, nothing. You're literally in the middle of nowhere. And the roads, most of Ukraine is, is nothing. Aside from the big cities, 70% of Ukraine is just mamish, like just... And there's no hills either. It's just straight road for hours and hours and hours. One lane going this way, one lane going that way. And many of the lanes have trucks that are transporting goods from one place to the other place. And so the, the, the car driver will just turn into oncoming traffic for as long as he needs to pass all the trucks. Mama's a game of chicken. Like, you can't see anything. It's pitch black. And then, whoops, back into the lane. Like, that's how the driving is there. Potholes. Terrible. Anyway, we get into we get into Uman. We're we're ready to go in to drive in, and um, the mafia comes to the thing. They they have set up roadblocks. They're dressing like police. They're not police. Um, okay. You know, and you say, can I, can, we, can we drive past? Twenty dollars. Uh, that's how it goes. Twenty dollars. Okay, twenty dollars. No, from each of you, twenty dollars to to get past. It's a complete complete lie. Anyway, okay, they they give them twenty dollars. They move the thing. Five feet, like not five feet, like like another drive for a minute, however many whatever feet, another mile, another roadblock, twenty dollars, cleaning you out, mamish. Like the whole place is run by mafia, and you get the feeling from from the people there that they don't like you very much, you know, and they they'll 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 accommodate you, they'll accommodate you because you know they make their whole year parnasa off of Uman because of all the all the business that's there and all the jobs that they get by shiners tent and serving food and this and that and schlepping things. There's a feeling of, um, of hatred. There is a feeling of hatred. It's known historically that the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians in a certain way were more brutal than the Nazis even in their treatment of the Jews. Holocaust survivors from that area remember very, very well the brutality, the hatred. However, while all of this is true, we speak so often about the spirit of youth. That's our whole thing. And from my standpoint, at least, and I heard this was being debated, different people, what's the Torah's standpoint, this and that, should we, should we not feel bad, should we feel bad? I, I, speaking just on a personal level, to me it's not a question of what my halachic obligation is. I don't have a choice to not feel bad. I don't have a choice. Don't talk to me about what the halacha is. My human heart needs to bleed with our children who are crying. With our children who are being dragged out of their homes or witnessing things that no adult's eyes should ever need to be told. I don't have a choice. There's Jews there too. We'll get to the Jews in a minute. First we're talking about just Ukraine. I don't have a choice. I'm speaking about the random guy who, uh, you know, would have been very, very happy to, you know, like completely and entirely rob me of all of my things if they weren't nervous about losing the job. Speaking about people who don't care about me at all, doesn't mean that I shouldn't care about them. Am Yisrael is Rachmanim by Shadim Goyim Lechasadim. That's at our root, at our core. 
at our core mamish. Aside from the fact that this is already two generations, three generations after the war, you know, we don't believe on you know, uh, retribution, visiting generations later for something the great-grandparents did that they had nothing to do with. Our grandparents, I don't think we believe in that. But it's just, it's just this feeling of like, that could be me. They have three-year-olds like I have a three-year-old. They had homes like I had home. I have a home, you know? A lot of times we think about refugees, we think of like people from third world countries, and in a way it is a third world country. But in also a way, it's not. To them, it's their home. To them, it's their home. And beyond to them, it's their home. Good to see you. Thanks for coming up, feeling so awesome through the elbow. For them, for them, many of them are, are living like regular citizens of any country. And before you know it, you're marching for hours along the road to the border of Poland in the pitch black freezing cold with crying kids and no food. And all your, and all your earthly belongings in two knapsacks or, or suitcases that you could take with you. That, that could be me. You know, everybody in the, holo, you know, in, ter- in the sense of the Holocaust speaks about survivor's guilt, right? The people who are able to make it and why me and why not them. More broadly, all of us should have, you know, survivor's guilt for any conflict happening in the world. We're not, we're not, we're not disassociated from that. That could be us. That could be us. I bless us all never to experience anything of that, of that nature. But as human beings in the facade of stability, which I'll talk about again in, 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 in a few minutes, we have to be mamish, mamish plugged in. These are not regular days, like I started with. It's not regular days because it's Adar, we have to feel that. In the same amount, we have to feel that these are not regular days. We cannot go on with our regular, with our regular lives completely oblivious to what's, what's taking place not too far from here. We can't. We can't. And we certainly can't do that and then have tainos on the rest of the world who stayed silent during the Holocaust. Of course, not comparing what's going on now in Ukraine to the Holocaust, but 1% of either of those things should be enough for me to care. And when I say that, it doesn't mean I'm comparing one to the other. This is not the Holocaust. But the Holocaust didn't need to have been the Holocaust for me to have cared. And so the taina that people in Europe had in the rest of the world, I felt very uncomfortable sitting and eating dinner last night in my warmly, you know, warm and, 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 and lit apartment eating, you know, salmon for dinner when there are people who are no worse off than me in any sense who are not experiencing that. I felt guilty about that. We should feel guilty about that. And that's why I think also, going back to the conversation that people have about, should we feel bad, shouldn't we feel bad, what kind of arrogance is that? What kind of arrogance? That you are able now to sit in, 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 in the facade of stability and security. Should we, shouldn't we, a whole conversation. What right do you have to open your mouth on the issue? You need to feel bad. Not because the Torah says so, but because there's something that's derech eretz kadmul Torah, that far beyond what the Torah's sensibility is in this matter, that's the din. The lufnimishur din is that we're humans first. Mamish humans first. That's with regard to the stam Ukrainian on the street. Primarily the children, because children are children are children are children. All around the world, children are children. There's the spirit of youth that transcends demographic that transcends state or city. That's everything that we speak about, isn't it? Because it's only when you get a little bit older that you start to identify as Ukrainian or as, uh, you know, an Israeli, right? Even as an American. But if there's one real unifier, 
one real unifier, it's, it's the spirit of youth. Because that's where human beings can be human. And I believe that it's only as much as us as adults will embody that spirit that there can be peace. That's what I mean when I say that the spirit of youth will heal our world. And so when you talk about actual children who were playing in a park two weeks ago that's now been hit by Russian shelling and aren't able with their, with their pure minds, still pure, even going, pure youthful minds to fathom what's going on, that's a tragedy. That's with regard to, to Goyim. With regard to Yidin, there are hundreds of thousands of Jews in, uh, in, in Ukraine. Many of them don't know that they're Jewish. And I don't like to distinguish between the not from and the from, but it makes it easier for us to feel empathetic toward people that we consider more like us. There are many, many Yidin who are stuck in Ukraine and weren't able to get out. And somebody had the audacity to send me a message I was going to respond to. So he sends me a message. I see all these campaigns going around for the Jews of Uman and the Jews of this. Why didn't they get out? Why are we sending money to get out? Who cares why they didn't get out? Who cares? Until you're in their shoes, what right do you have to... Who cares? First of all, it's not... It's easier for... You know, for <laughs> the whole thing's ridiculous. I'm sure the whole thing's ridiculous. What do you know from having to make that decision to actually get up and leave? Who knows that it's going to be more secure on the road? Who knows what's going to happen when they get to the border? Maybe they don't have enough money to take with them and to leave. Maybe they have their best chance of survival staying right where they are. It's not so posh it. And I you, what's that? It's their home. It's their home. And you're, you have a taina now, now that they're in danger. Maybe they don't deserve our money because they did do your shtadlis. What kind of animal are you? What kind of beast? I don't understand the cheshbonus here. People are hurting. People are in pain. I don't understand the cheshbon. But regardless of the reason, these people are, are stuck. These people are stuck. And the terror that they're living through is, um, is something that we mamish, again, we need in that sense of the humanity and the Jewishness that we share with them, we have to feel that. We have to feel the pain. We have to feel that. And I don't mean that we have to walk around the whole day, you know, just in a dark cloud. I started with Mishanich Razadar, Marbim Asimcha. We have to live. That's also an important caveat. I don't either think that because human beings are suffering in one part of the world, that therefore means that we have to walk around suffering the entirety of our day. It can't mean that, because why would we do that? Because we feel bad that they're not able to live their regular lives. And so in response, I should not live my regular life and destroy two Jews' lives now? I don't think that's either, Mahalach. But I mean for our rejoicing to be couched within this awareness. At least to be aware. At least not to be oblivious. I want to help you guys develop. And I want to nurture within myself a feeling heart. Breastlev is osios, lave basar. From a Pasuk that says that Hashem will remove our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. It means a feeling heart. That's what breastlev means. I'm trying to awaken within everybody that I speak to. This feeling heart, not to become callous. For numbers that we read, if it's numbers of casualties, whether it's civilian or whether it's this, whether it's on this side or the other side, or all the sides. Not just numbers, these are people. These are people with mothers and fathers. These are human beings. These are fathers with children. These are husbands with wives. These are wives with husbands. To feel it. Now again, that can't drag us down into the dump. We have to live. Right? We have to live. And especially in the month of Adar, we have to prepare for Purim with all of our energy. Not to, not, not to dial it down even a drop. Not at all. 
not to dial it down, not, not suggesting that. Play your music and dance. But the secret of being a Jew, like the Zara Kaddish describes, is to have one chamber of the heart that's dancing even while the other chamber of the heart is crying. We can have both. Hazar Bedima Birina. Both can be true. Now one more word, more generally speaking, about what the message is for you and me. In any circumstance and situation, because of how easy it is today to have access to everything that goes on everywhere, and the distinct nature of all of our lives as individuals and where we are and what we're part of, every person takes in an experience in a different way and it reflects differently on a billion, billion different kinds of people all over the world who are taking it in. And what, what, what message rings true for one person in one place and one experience of what's happening is a different message for someone else, right? So we don't have the message of our lives being shaken and, and destroyed and uprooted and filled with upheaval and, 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 and all of that of what's actually going on to Jews and to non-Jews who are there. But I think a basic, basic message for all of us to think about all the time and to remember is that stability is a facade. It's a total, total facade. Baruch Hashem, the world is more stable now than it's ever been. The reason why this is so shocking is because we thought we put this kind of behavior in the past. There are very few autocracies left in the world. Not that democracy is always the best, right? But in comparison, it's, 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 it's not even close. There are very few dictatorships. There are very few places left in the world like this, which is why when you see a land grab like this, which again, for the majority of our history was status quo, like this is, this is the rule, not the exception for the majority of history, but we've managed since the Second World War pretty much to live in, 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 a, in a sense of peace and stability. We take for granted like what kind of stability we've been living in, and it's true and it's wonderful. We have to thank Hashem for it, and it's encouraging in the sense of where humanity is headed. We're doing a very good job, by and large. There are societal issues, things that will self-correct, I believe, in a generation or two, and so on and so forth. The lessons we'll learn, but by and large, we're in a wonderful place. In terms of the regular man on the street, people are far more caring than they were. People are far less interested in violence and war and anarchy. COVID threw everything for a loop. But by and large, society as a whole is flourishing. There are pockets of extremism, but by and large, our experience of living in the world is pretty neat. Pretty neat. Supply chains work. There's gas for your car. There's food in the supermarket. Things work. But something like this needs to remind us that in a split second, everything could change. Everything. Everything. Very, very quickly. And not the decision of millions of people. This is not Russia's war. This is Putin's war. Everybody knows that. Everybody who has access to the outside world knows that. In Russia, they don't have access to news sources outside of what's allowed. The censored news that's trying to sell them some version of a you know, military operation to denazify a Jewish president's government. I mean, it, it's a joke. The whole thing's a joke. But the people who actually know what's going on, on some level, 
This is one man's war. You know, there are 7,000 people, children among them, who are incarcerated in Russian prisons because they've been protesting. 7,000 people. And that's a drop in the bucket. Those are the brave ones. Think about all the people who behind closed doors at their dinner table are busy cursing Putin now but would never walk to the street because it's just not worth the risk. The man has no one supporting him. He's destroyed Russia. And it will remain in a position of destruction for the foreseeable future. We don't know what's going to be. But the message of how one man, obviously, which will be the last thing we speak about in this context, how one man could very, very quickly dismantle this illusion, because that's what it is, it's an illusion. Something happened with COVID. There's a little virus in the lab in, in, a way, in China, right. and then all of a sudden it wasn't just in China, it was right. everywhere. Right. And people think the same thing can't happen. And the question is, did we learn our lesson? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not either sure. I'm not either sure about that. You know, the way I think of it sometimes is like, we think because of, all the passwords, you ever think about this? All the passwords that we put on all of our different things. A person can have an app, he has banking password on that. He has a password on his Gmail right, account and on his Facebook account and on all the different things he uses to share information, message people, whatever it is that he does, he has passwords on today. We think we're super secure. But the problem is that all those passwords for many people are saved to Google. And access to Google just needs uh, the password to your phone. And the password to your phone on many phones has been simplified to a four-letter a four PIN. So how much more secure are you? Sure, you have passwords on everything, but all those are linked and dependent on one four-figure passcode, sometimes the swab of a finger. So if somebody's looking over your shoulder and sees how you do your passcode, he has access to everything. In a way, that's a metaphor to what's been happening. Everything's secure, everything's stable, everything's set up. But the truth is, at the center point, all those layers that you piled on, that center point is not adhesive enough for the first layer to really stick. So you just piled layers and layers and layers and layers. But it, they say, you know, the strength of a chain is only as strong as weakest. its weakest link. And that's always been true, and that'll always be true. This world is a facade. The adult nature of this world is a facade. What's true then? What's true? Coming back to the beginning. The spirit of youth is true. Personal virtue is true. You can talk big and build big buildings and institutions, but if one human being hasn't learned how to act like a mensch, it's worthless. And that's how mamish, everything that's happening now needs to be a crash course in everything we've been learning until now. It's really wild if you think of it, but everything leads back to this. The spirit of, the spirit of youth like we said, personal virtue in terms of our own lives as individuals, building our, ourselves up by doing what? By holding up every perceived ambition to the light of the child within, to the light of that wonder, to the light of that, like we always say this Pasuk, Asa Elohim Esa Adam Yashar, Hashem created mankind. Yashar, straight, and it goes for humanity as a whole, but it goes for each individual. They got very old and adult and mature and they started to seek a bunch of garbage. A bunch of garbage. In the name of institutions, in the names of buildings and systems and look how things work and look how everything's under our control. Nothing's under your control. You're a little child. 
at the essence, but you forgot him. You covered him up and you covered him up and you covered him up until one individual who's entirely out of touch with that child within can with one button destroy everything. So it's a crash course in this. It's a crash course in not falling for the delusion. In reminding ourselves again and again and again that one thing matters in this life and one thing only. And that's trying as best as we can in all of the various ways that Yiddishkeit provides and that human life provides as adults, the framework, what we refer to as the six sons, to channel that spirit of youth, to channel that excitement, that wonder, that simplicity, that yashras, that feeling, that sensitivity, that humility, that awareness that Hashem is in control which we'll get to as the last chilek of this little shmooze, that overarchingly Hashem is in control. That all that appears as stable is not stable. Because it's all a facade. And not to put too much faith in that. But by the same token, to look beyond the delusional stability and beyond the apparent implosion of that and find HaKadosh Baruch Hu running everything. And therefore, I don't purport to suggest that everybody should be living in a state of constant fear because you never know what's going to be and nuclear war and, and, and you know, lack of stability. And so what should we trust and who should we trust? That's not the point. On the contrary, living with this awareness gives you more reason to be courageous because you don't trust the false stability of what's going on, but you're able to fall into a Baruch Hu's arms in every area of life. Not just when things are going right, which is a miracle of HaKadosh Baruch Hu running things. That's the miracle of Purim, is that even nature is just a facade, is a mask for Hashem running everything, all the natural systems and everything. That's an exception, like I pointed out, to the rule of humanity, to the rule of what this world should look like. This world should be hell. This world should be chaotic. It's much more a chiddush that the world hasn't been the way that it's acting now for the past 70 years than that it has. But to look beyond that and find that even when things fall apart and even when a person unhinged from the youth within is bringing terror upon children, how somehow that's also part of a vinahapahu yashras that we can't fathom. So do you hear how it's not supposed to make us completely you know, neurotic and, 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 and depressed? on the contrary embrace that within and hold a number of things to be true at once stability is an illusion but so is instability stability is an illusion but the instability that is true beyond the veil of that stability is also an illusion because what's true is stability with a capital S and that's Hashem running the show and that's beyond all of what we're speaking about. And it's within all of what we're speaking about. And so, Mamish, that's my bracha here for all of us. First of all, we should only hear good news and this whole thing should be resolved quickly, peacefully, and in an easy way. Second, we should be able to learn a lot of the lessons that we spoke about, starting with sensitivity to human suffering and to care about that, to allow that to make an impact on us. 
going back a step, at least chronologically, in this little shmuz, we should feel Adar, should feel Rosh Chodesh Adar. We should be able to mamish add on to our simcha, really feel as if a mazel shifted and things are uphill from here. But primarily, to learn this lesson, not to trust the elusive stability of the world that surrounds us, to tap into the spirit of youth that's so often shut away and covered over by these perceived systems, to look beyond the stability of it and the instability of it and find HaKadosh Baruch And that's how we should be. We should walk out with a feeling of saying, I don't know anything, what do I know? I'm just a child exploring, I don't know anything, but I know that there's a God who happens to be my king and my father and my best friend in the world. Who knows? Who knows? And it doesn't mean that we don't have to dive in from our perspective for the humans that are suffering who we couldn't ever even suggest this to. Don't worry, Hashem has it under control. That's, that's, not, that's not our position or their position. We need to dive in. Hashem wants us to dive in, to dive in for the world, to dive in for them, to dive in for our security, for the, for the security of Jews around the world. We have to dive in for all of these things. But at the very, very same point, after our tefillah, take three steps back and say, I'm placing everything that I speak before you because ultimately you know what's best. From my limited perception, things are falling apart, gotta daven about it. But at the end of the day, my status quo is childlike faith. It's childlike openness. To live with childlike joy and to heal a world of, a, of unhinged adults full of sheker and garbage with fostering the spirit of youth within to the extent possible. So we're trying to put forth a nuanced perspective on this. To feel, but not to be overwhelmed by sadness. To rejoice, because it's Adar and Purim's coming up, but at the same time not to be oblivious. To daven, but at the same time not to lose hope and to lose faith that Hashem is running everything. To have faith, but not to stop davening. We can do all these things at once. It's much harder than simply to just shut it all out or live under a cloud for the rest of your life. Those two things are much easier, but hopefully this is the Derecha Emes.